The word of our Lord from the Gospel of John. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. So he said to them again, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you shall find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciple came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, only about 200 cubits, dragging the net with him. Then, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. So Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had eaten some breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus again said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him again the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because... Jesus said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death, he would glorify God. And when Jesus had spoken this, he said to them, or to him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. 
who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who will betray you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. Amen. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your holy word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear what you have for us through it. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I remember as a kid, riding in the car in the mornings to Woodland Hills Academy for kindergarten. Kindergarten's the only year I went to private school. <laughs> um, and I remember in the mornings we would be riding to Woodland Hills and there would always be that same voice that would come on eventually at some point during the ride. It was the voice that I knew so well even as a little guy. The voice of Paul Harvey, Harvey telling us the story. And I remember in the afternoons on my way home from Woodland Hills Academy, it seemed like every day the pattern was the same. On the way there, at some point, there would be Paul Harvey. And on the way home, at some point, there would be Paul Harvey telling us the rest of the story. How the story actually wound up. What ended up happening. Tying up the loose ends. Chapter 21 of John's Gospel comes to us almost as an appendix, an addendum to the gospel. Those last couple of verses of, of chapter 20 seem to be a likely way to end his gospel. These things I have written to you so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and so that by believing you might have life in his name. That's a fitting place to end. There's the unmistakable resurrection of Jesus and the invitation then to believe and find life in Him. But John decides instead to tie up some loose ends by giving us a behind-the-scenes behind peek at something that happened even after Easter Sunday in Jesus' initial appearances to His disciples. He tells us of a night at sea and a day at the beach. He tells us of a, a fishing expedition and a breakfast. He tells us that there were seven of the remaining 11 disciples who had gathered together. And it started by Peter throwing out the declarative statement, I'm going fishing. 
you can imagine them sitting around. And Peter just comes up with this idea. That's it. I'm going fishing. And so the others, the other six, say, we're going with you. And how unfortunate that they spend all night on the Sea of Tiberias. They're out there all night long, and they caught absolutely nothing. What a drag. How unfortunate. The next morning, they see a man on the coastline and they hear a voice. Children, have you any food? You know, that really is the question of our lives that Jesus asks us. Children, have you any food? What have you got going for you? What's the state of your appetite and what's the state of having that appetite satisfied? Have you any food? It's kind of a theme that runs through John's Gospel. This idea of hunger and this idea of being without and this idea that it is the Lord Jesus who is able to provide to provide miraculously, to provide exactly what our hearts and even our stomachs are longing for. Jesus tells him, throw your net onto the right side of the boat. And it's interesting that they do just that The only thing that matters when Jesus tells you what to do is whether or not you'll obey. Period. That's it. There's no way around it. Whether it's Jesus' word to us saying, follow me, or whether it's his word to us that seems so mundane and so so insignificant, cast your net on the right side of the boat. The only thing that matters in the end is obedience. Not even feelings matter. It doesn't matter how you feel about Jesus. You probably won't hear a lot of pastors telling you that. But quite frankly, the gospel is not so concerned about our feelings. Not nearly as much is it concerned about our feelings as it is about the state of our faith and faithfulness. Unfortunately, we have dumbed down the meaning of faith to mean simply feelings. How you feel about Jesus. Whether or not you're feeling like going to church. Or whether or not you're feeling like sharing your faith. Or whether or not you're feeling like reading your Bible. And all around us in our culture... Even in the church of baptized believers, 
We see what feelings get us to. I don't feel like I love you anymore. I'm out. I don't feel connected to this church anymore. I'm gone. I feel like maybe I ought to do this now. But the only thing that matters when Jesus tells you what to do is whether or not you'll obey. And oh, if only we had pursued Jesus with wild abandon like Peter did in verse 7. As soon as Peter realizes it is the Lord, the disciple whom Jesus loved, tells him, that's the Lord right there. And Peter, he, he does grab his outer garment. He grabs his coat and he jumps into the water. He doesn't have time for the boat to get back to shore. He's got to get to Jesus. He's late for an appointment. And he'll do whatever it takes, even jumping the curb and driving through the grass if that's what it takes. When he gets to the shore, he finds that Jesus, as always, has brought the feast. Because Jesus always brings the feast. He sets the table and provides the food and drink. But notice, there's already fish there. There's a fire of coals and Jesus is grilling fish over that fire of coals. But Jesus tells them, hey, what you've just caught... Go ahead and bring some of that over here. We'll include that in the meal. Jesus includes what they've brought to the party. He includes it into the feast. And he invites them, come and dine. Come and have some breakfast. Enjoy what I've prepared for you. Enjoy the spread that I've laid before you. The gospel tells us that this was Jesus' third appearance to his disciples. And sadly, there are only seven of the eleven there. You'll remember his first appearance, there were ten of the eleven. Thomas wasn't there for whatever reason. But here we read that Thomas is one of the seven. Don't miss Jesus. Thomas surely didn't hear. And Jesus engages Peter in a profoundly uncomfortable conversation. We can't even get our minds around how uncomfortable this conversation would have been. Jesus asks him, do you love me more than these? What comes to my mind immediately, the question that I have is, more than these what or who? More than these disciples love me? More than, these, more than you love these brothers of yours, these disciples? More than these, these things, these activities, fishing and feasting? More than the food? I imagine it's probably pretty good. Jesus is cooking it. 
But John won't tell us the specifics there. There's really no way to know what Jesus is referring to when he says more than these. But Jesus' question of, do you love me, is all that matters. Much has been said about the way that Jesus is using verbs in these series of questions compared to the way that Peter is using verbs. And the reason why is because there are four Greek verbs that refer to love that have to do with loving. And phileo is one of them. It's a brotherly kind of love. It's where we get the the city Philadelphia. Not Pennsylvania, but Mississippi. We had a Philadelphia there in Mississippi. <laughs> the city of brotherly love. And phileo is a is a is it it is a personal and intimate kind of love. But there's another kind of love that was actually crafted, I believe it was Aristotle. No, it may have been Plato who who came up with, with this idea of love. Agapeo. And it is an unconditional love, a love that is self-starting and a love that is never-ending. It is the love of God. And Jesus asked Peter, do you agapeo me? And Peter's response, interestingly enough, is, yes, Lord, I phileo you. Now, I don't want to make too much of that, but it's almost as if a girlfriend asks her boyfriend, do you love me? And his response is, well, sure, I like you. <laughs> That's important to like someone if you're intending to marry them, and especially if you have married them. But it's just, it's very interesting that Jesus asks Peter, do you agapeo me and Peter's response is of course I phileo you and so Jesus tells him feed my lambs he asks a second time do you agapeo me and Peter's response is the same of course Lord I phileo you tend my sheep finally Jesus asks him a third time this time he says, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter is crushed. I imagine he's probably crushed for a couple of reasons. The one is the most obvious, and that is that Peter had denied Jesus three times on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And Jesus had told Peter, you are going to deny me. You think you've got this incredible faith and this incredible love in me and for me. You think that I have all of who you are, but you're going to deny me tonight. At my greatest moment of need and despair, you are going to deny me. And not just deny me, you'll deny me three times before the sun comes up. Before the rooster crows. And you know Peter doubted that. Okay, he may be the Lord, but not denying him. Certainly not denying him three times. Come on. 
I have control of this. I can decide whether I'm going to deny him. When the opportunity arises, I just won't do it. But Peter did deny him three times. And the last time he denied him cursing. I don't know the man. I've never met him. No, of course I'm not one of his disciples. And immediately the rooster crowed. And so now immediately when Jesus asked Peter, Do you phileo me, Peter? Peter's heart sinks into his gut. But I think another thing that is weighing heavy and immediately heavy upon Peter is that Jesus finally uses Peter's term of endearment. Do you really phileo me? Are you sure about that? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Feed my sheep. Jesus confronts Peter with the reality of who he is. With the reality of what he's done. And with the reality of the paltriness of his faith and love. Only when we are confronted head on with with that reality... The reality of who we are. The reality of what we've done. The reality of the paltriness of our faith and love. Only then are we ready to truly follow the risen Christ where he leads and as he leads. Don't give me. Oh, never me. That was Peter's mistake. Don't be Peter. Because Jesus had told Peter, when the time comes, when the pressure mounts, when it seems like you've got no other option, you will deny me. And so let us not be like Peter who think, oh no, that's beneath me. I'm faithful. I'm the one that's got it together. I'm the one that shows up. I'm the one who shows up and is ready to work. Notice that even at the table, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, speaking of Judas Iscariot, notice that the disciples' question was not, oh, I bet it was him. Or was it that guy? Or, man, I, I, bet, it's, I bet it's him. I've been wondering about him. Their question was all, surely not I, Lord. Certainly not one of my brothers is going to abandon us. Is it me? Am I the weak one? Am I the one that's going to betray you? I'm not a big fan of church marquees because typically they get a bit snarky and they, um, you know, I just imagine somebody who's lost driving down the road seeing some smart alecky joke about burning in hell for all of eternity and I think man that's probably not the best way to 
you know, be a witness to the community. But I do like me some Christian memes on the internet. There's one that I find quite hilarious. Don't tell me that you're willing to be locked up for your faith when you won't even go to church for it. That one hurts. There was a mistake um, in a, a news story, a commentary that NPR produced this past weekend on Easter weekend. And they were announcing that it's Easter Sunday. It's Easter Sunday, the day that, <laughs> that Christians around the world um, rem- uh, proclaim that Jesus was not in fact did not in fact die, but instead went back to heaven to be with his father. And there's so many theological mistakes on that count. They eventually retracted and simply said, it's Easter Sunday, the day that millions of Christians around the world celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Now we can cast stones at NPR and say, what in the world is wrong with you? That's not what Easter is about. But before we're casting stones at a secular news organization, the church probably ought to consider its own conditions. The fact that not only do most Christians not even know themselves what Easter is really about, the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus. But perhaps, perhaps even worse, and I I want to be... I don't want to be too light in saying perhaps worse than that because that's pretty bad. But we'll say perhaps more telling is the fact that we seem, so many of us, to not even live in the reality of what that means for our lives. After Lazarus was raised from the dead and before Jesus was anointed at Bethany, Jesus said, we've got to go back to Jerusalem. And the disciples said, Jerusalem, are you crazy? They're going to kill you. And so Thomas, the doubter, I love Thomas. He says, let's go with him to Jerusalem so that we might die with him. I don't always quote Mike Tyson, but when I do, it's always this line. Everyone has a plan until he gets punched in the mouth. You know, it's easy for us as Christians to think that we can have it together, that we can can be confident in ourselves and have this haughty spirit where we've got life together, we've got a relationship with Jesus together, we read our Bibles, we pray, we go to church, we do our stuff, and everybody else is the problem. What strikes me is how in the world were these seven disciples back out on the water so quickly. They had encountered the risen Christ. They had seen the resurrected Jesus. They'd even eaten with Him before. Twice 
they've encountered him. And here they are back out on the water, back out trying to fish. Because Peter has this wild idea of that's it, I'm going fishing. And those that are with him said, that's fine, we'll go with you. How in the world are they back out on the water so quickly? Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus could show up at any moment. And the question that that raises in my life, and ought to raise in all of our lives, is do I ever slip back into life like Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead? Do I ever find myself, or better yet, does Jesus ever find me living a normal, mundane life as though Jesus hasn't risen from the dead? Jesus tells Peter after he has plunged the dagger right into Peter. He gives a slight turn and tells him, When you were younger, you clothed yourself and you went wherever you pleased. But when you're older, you will stretch out your hands and somebody else will put on you what they want on you, and they will lead you where you don't want to go. Follow me. Wait a minute. Follow you when you've told me that? When that's what following you means? Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. The cross strikes at the heart of our powers and our rights to determine ourselves, to support ourselves, to nourish ourselves, to maintain ourselves, to protect ourselves. And Jesus tells us, follow me we're going to the cross Peter notices the disciple whom Jesus loved and he thinks wait a minute but Lord what about him what is following you have in store for him what is that to you how is that any of your business? You follow me. The cross strikes at the heart of our demands, our demands for fairness, our insistence upon equal suffering for all. You follow me. And finally, John unveils himself as the author. The disciple whom Jesus loved. 
previously, in his old life, John had a nickname. He was one of the sons of thunder. Boanerges. But somewhere along the way, he begins to refer to himself as the beloved of Jesus, the object of Jesus' love, the disciple whom he loved. And he first refers to himself by that name after Jesus washed his feet in John chapter 13. From there on out, John sees himself as the object, the, pro, the object of Jesus' profound, miraculous, and perfect love. He was the disciple who he and his brother said, that city doesn't want to hear your gospel, Jesus. Should we pray that God would send down fire on that city? He was a hot-headed man. He was a power grasper. He was an asserter, a pure type A probably. And Jesus washes his feet and he begins to realize that I'm the one that Jesus, my Lord, loves. See, the story wasn't over for Peter. It wasn't over for John. John decided to tie up some loose ends about their two lives. The story's not over for you and for me. It's not over for us. What are the loose ends of our lives that we need to tie up if we're to follow Jesus to the cross? In just a few moments, we're going to approach this holy table to come and dine. Just before then, we're going to sing, Come as you are. And that is Jesus' invitation to us. Come as you are, wherever you are, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, Come in that reality. Because again, Jesus always confronts us with the reality of who we are. And only in that moment is there healing. Only in that moment, being before the mirror of our lives and recognizing who we are and what we've done, how we failed him, the, the, the paltriness of our faith and of our love, not the paltriness of other people's faith and love, but ours. Lord, is it I? Only then are we able to find what our souls need, the healing that our hearts need. question I want to leave you with to consider as we prepare to approach this table a question to 
help you to search yourself as I search myself is quite simply on the evening drives home of your life. What's going to be the rest of your story? In the end, that's all that really matters. Where do we go from here? How does this story play out? Let's pray. Father, we come to you.